welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephanie Freumovic, and I'll be hosting our first Spotlight Wrap-Up Conversation of Season 1. As you might already know, the first spotlight season of the Inclusive Leadership Institute explored the expertise of a variety of faculty members. Each illuminated a different facet of inclusive leadership and delivered some very practical takeaways. Next, you hear my conversation with three experts. May Snowden, a leading specialist and experienced practitioner in diversity, equity and inclusion strategy globally and locally. Malini Janakiraman, a leadership development leader, consultant and coach, and Jörg Schmitz, a business anthropologist and managing director of the Inclusive Leadership Institute. A conversation reflects on this wealth of learning and sets the stage for what is next at the Inclusive Leadership Institute. Since our conversation was extensive, we decided to provide it in two parts. Here is part one of our conversation. Welcome everyone. We're here today to discuss season one. This is a wrap-up session where we will have a conversation. We will share our favorite insights. We will connect different pieces and pull apart um, maybe some questions that we have, maybe our favorite parts of um, this season. Um, so we're gathered with York, Melanie, and May today. Thank you so much for joining. And um, the variety of topics and experts that the season one covered is truly amazing. Um, I was a listener myself, and um, it was a fantastic experience. I grew up a lot um, as a DEI practitioner, uh, but it was not always easy, right? There were hard questions, concepts that uh, we might need to digest a little bit more. So that's the purpose of this conversation today. Uh, and to start, I would like to ask you, what's our favorite piece uh, of season one? Something that you learned, um, something that stuck with you, that you would like to share with this group? One thing that uh, really resonated with me was uh, Valerie Perdue Vaughn, Dr. Valerie Perdue Vaughn, from, um, when she talked about identity-based belonging. That was a huge learning for me because I started connecting it to many, many other pieces of, of the spotlight sessions, the things I've been grappling with in my own life and in what I share with others. Because you see, often the word belonging in of in itself is, is offered as a one size fit all and it doesn't always work. And when she talked about that, it was a big aha for me. And I'm going to connect that to what I learned from May uh, several years ago when we were all sitting and talking in New Jersey and the word belonging, we were just using it like it is the best word from, for, for, from forever. And she said to us, that doesn't resonate with me because it goes back to some connections uh, to slavery that is hurtful. Right. So putting that along with what Dr. Valerie Perdue Vaughan said and connecting it to what I truly believe that leaders don't always get to know their people very well was a huge learning for me. And I was wondering, um, 
May, what is it that you might have learned? Well, thanks, Malini. Um, I, uh, I, I think I'm going to go back to an insight that I received from Vince uh, Vorario. And uh, he spoke to us about language. And I just think that that just brought me to the point of how impactful political movements are, politics. I remember when we had a political movement in the United States of English only, English only. Nobody was to speak any other language in the school systems. Nobody was to speak any language at work other than English. If you didn't know English, you better learn it uh, because you're still going to be evaluated based on the responsibilities you have to get your job done, even if you don't understand the language. I mean, it was just, just uh, from my perspective, it was a horrible situation. And uh, then I look at, at what that did to us. So now other countries are multi, the people in their countries are multilingual. Here in the United States, we are not. We're, we're a little bit better just because of, of people coming to the U.S. that uh, speak a different language. But we have not been intentional. We have not been intentional of being global. So we have caused and, and made ourselves separate. We have a separate mindset. And I just go right back to what Vince said about this, come right back to what is happening. We're not, and then I can look at some of the other speakers that spoke on curiosity and being agile and uh, what's your brand looking like. And, 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 I, and I just bring it right back to who are we and what is it that we really want? Uh, or, or do, is critical race theory really an issue? Or is it the same thing that we were talking about English only? So what, is, what, what can we really wrap our arms around and be more inclusive and more open uh, to our connection with everybody? Because everything is connected. So I, I, I really did get a lot from Vince, but all of the speakers, you're, you really did an outstanding job in selecting the speakers. They all had something fantastic to say, and it all knitted together. You know, everybody had a different beautiful string that we have put in this beautiful tapestry, and it all just smoothly went together. And I just want to thank you for that. <laughs> thank you, May. So, and uh, this is a tough question, Stephanie. I mean, because I feel like you know, I don't want to pick favorites right here out of out of because I've been curating this this at least the first season here, and so that's why while I'll, I'll probably resonate with some insights that I think were for me very foundational, and I'll call on some people that you hadn't mentioned um, um, yet, uh, May and Malini. You know, so first of all, I'm very pleased that the, the that English um, resonated. You know, for me, it's one of those underexplored dimensions of diversity, especially in global organizations, and a, where there is a real need for leaders to exercise inclusiveness around. And I mean, we can even attest to this here on 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 you know on our in our group, right? In our little group here, uh, we have. Um, different varieties of English spoken, right, by each of us, 
different stories of English, some native, some non-native. Um, and it's a it's it's not easy, right? It's it's a it's a it's like all di dimensions of diversity. The um, you know, the, if you're if you're not familiar with the dominant norms, then you're hyper hyper aware of, of this as a as a feature. And you know, this has always been from the very beginning of me needing to live and work in an English speaking environment. This has been you know a dimension I've, I I struggle with every day. Um, and and um, while I feel comfortable in English, it, it took a long time. <laughs> you know, it took a long time and of very deliberate practice, attention um, and work that many people haven't seen or, or known about. Of course, I'm, you know, it, it, this identity-based belonging topic, as Malini, as you said, for me was huge, you know, because... Because the because of the shorthand that is happening in DEI or in many organizations around belonging, everybody talks about belonging, and it's it to me it's troubling historically for the same reasons that that May you brought out and 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 that resonated with Malini. It's also troubling for me for other reasons, right? And we 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 read about layoffs in companies all the time and so forth. While while these companies are talking about belonging and and you know this this narrative around belonging to some degree doesn't doesn't sit so well. I understand the intention, you know, and and I think Valerie brought that out, you know. And I think to to what you were saying, Malini, your contributions around getting this this question: Do we really know our people, and do we understand their three dimensional um, and also intersectional histories? That's where. Uh, you know, um, you know, Akoshua's contributions, Dr. Uh, Ampofo, um, you know, talked about um, the, the intersectionality, not just as a as a fact uh, that we all represent, but also as a pathway of healing. You know, and this is where, to me, this all comes together. Inclusive leadership is also the act of healing, you know, in micro environments, in micro in, in relationships, perhaps. And sometimes at the organizational level, making a contribution to healing of very painful social relational wounds that we carry around and that are coming to our consciousness now in this current time. Um, and and that's why I, I always believe that inclusive leadership is so key. But let me let me just bring two other points out that are important to me. Each of these spotlight sessions, in my view, has given us a way of explaining a phenomenon and also turning that explanation into some sort of an action, right? And, and every spotlight had a different weighting of these two elements. Some spotlights were clearly more on the explanation side. So when I think about Milton Bennett's, um, you know, contributions to helping us maybe think about culture differently and uh, finding a different pathway into measuring um, that was more on the explaining side, you know. Um, in the quantum negotiation conversation with Karen was more, perhaps more on the explanation side. Also, the, the conversation with Mark uh, and, and also Valerie was more on the explanation side. and But all had a pathway to action. And then there were some that were more on the action side. Malini, your, your contribution certainly was there. The judging softly content by Anne Barbara was there. 
uh, Jessica's, um, you know, contributions around disability was much more on the action side. Um, and, and so I like that balance because that's what it's all about. As inclusive leaders, we need to understand, learn to understand the world differently and then turn it into action. Um, I, what I found myself resonating with perhaps the most was something that Laura Liswood said um, when she invoked um, Howard Gardner on, on these four elements of what leaders need to be doing, particularly the fourth one, traveling outside of our worldview. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to me, all of these were contributions to help leaders put this into practice and not just travel outside of our worldview, but integrate it into a transformational challenge um, and, uh, you know, to, to build a different practice. Sorry, I took a long time. So that's that's what, what kind of was on my mind. You know, and may I, I'm going to turn it right over to you, Stephanie, in, in, but I just want to just add one little thing here, Jorg, to what you said, if, if that's okay with everyone. So as you talked talk to Jorg, you know, one of the things that stood out for me as I looked at the, all 12 sessions is the word meta, right? Stepping back. And, and you just hit it on the head right now when you talked about step, when uh, Laura Liswood said, um, outside one's own world view, right? So let me tell you where I found that coming up again and again and again. Aaron Walsh talked about, do you, do you serve with a larger purpose? She even brought the word spiritual in there. Negotiations. And, you know, you'd never think of the word spiritual with negotiation, right? Cheryl Williams talked about stepping back and being, you know, compassionate when you ask questions. Uh, and and um, Milton Bennett you know, he says, and he's, of course, and Anne Karen Walsh used the word quantum, right? It's beyond just the simplicity of it. So to me, that is such a powerful element of being able to emotionally regulate yourself as a leader, as Anne Barbara said in Judging Softly, right? I'm a judger. I've got to tell you, I am a judger par excellence. I've got to stop <laughs> and ask myself, where did that come from? But if you take this learning from your sessions and you say the word is step back, meta, outside your worldview, um, Jessica says we are more than our disabilities. You know, if you're just looking at someone and judging them on that disability, step back. So me, for me, this word meta uh, resonated with so many of your sessions. Yeah. yeah, I want to add to that too, that thank you, Malini, uh, because I was uh, thinking back to my own personal experience when I was asked to lead the ENI. And uh, of course, I, I went in into the job kicking and screaming. However, the first thing that they sent me to was a T group experience, which, you know, I just don't hear any. Uh, CDOs going to T group experiences now. Uh, however, it was the best thing ever for me because this whole human interactive experience for me, because to really look at 
Sorry, May, can you briefly explain what this experience is about? The tea group? Okay, all right, I'm going to try to. <laughs> but it, it looks at, it's a human interaction experience. So we are learning how our, our actions, how our actions to other people and other people's actions toward us impact us and how we relate in a conversation and behave and and think through it and how we process information. It really gets into a lot of more detailed stuff that we didn't really address there, such as conflict resolution and problem solving, all those skills that you learn in, uh, in when you focus in on business skills. But this one was focused in on our own behavior, which is something that we're going to be working towards. How do we stop just, you know, communicating what, what it is that we stand for and actually live it? So we had to come to the point where we could see ourselves and people could give us feedback and we could give others feedback. And we learned there was a lot of tears shed in, the, in, the, in our sessions. Uh, but I tell you, that was the best thing ever for me because I needed to know how I'm going to come across towards other people, how, how other people are going to receive the message. How can I explain the message in a way that other people can receive it based on their experiences in life? So we really got into those kinds of things that, you know, uh, that I think are uh, probably integrated into um, our non-bias training now, uh, but it was a, a, a human interaction experience. Uh, I did it through uh, N NTL, and they've been doing this for over 70 years. They are the best, but it really helps you develop those skills that we heard about through our speakers, the curiosity skills, the agility skills, the deep listening skills, all of those uh, things, even the spiritual skills, all of those skills were, were part of this process. So I'm hoping that somebody will pick up on this human interaction experiences because until we get that. So that exercise made that you just did from connecting the spotlights with your own experience, I think that was um, something that myself, I also had to go through because we are embedded right in, in our professional experience with the AI um, world, right? And these spotlights kind of made you, I think, connect and create linkages to each of our own experiences, right? So you, you actually did a, a really interesting exercise, right? Of what's in there, uh, the ideas, the theory, and what's actually, what we're doing as practitioners. What are the linkages, maybe the, the potential, you know, enhancements that we can use from these spotlight sessions. Um, so that exercise, I'm curious also to hear from Melanie and York, what was your experience around your own professional life and um, these spotlight sessions? I'll tell you, I'm gonna use the word colonialism in explaining that. I grew up in India, right? Uh, I was born the year the British left. My mother would always say they, they knew you were coming and they said goodbye. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, but the country went through 250 years of colonialism. Now, 
we to grow up being even though we were free the 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 aura of colonialism was very much there i went to a british missionary school and every day i was made to feel less than by the teachers who were from england fast forward i grew up that way i come over to the united states i'm an immigrant and now i'm told i'm a person of color where i was a part of the majority over there okay so this and i think the word othering has has come up in in the sessions right um i know uh, dr ampofo it it's a very much part of her thinking right so i think stephanie there is always this notion of um, what have you been made to feel as a human being about your identity and you start listening to speakers and making those connections to say ah that's why this is so hard for me ah that's why i need to step out and listen to someone who's not like me because they've been put into some categories based on how people see the world view and so now that word colonialism you know in fact i would say that is one of the left if you if you will something that i am still not comfortable with uh how is it being handled um ways in which people say you know maybe the power you know uh, is it a power with or a power on i never felt that if you are colonized that you have a negotiating voice so i i think to answer your question that that piece of it my own personal experience uh, really has an impact for me um as a as a person of uh, immigrating uh being different being in the margins a lot you know i was the only woman in honeywell for many 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 years in meetings and i'm 4 foot 11 and a half inches tall and i'm different so that's what i would say had an impact on me as i heard all this right your power to you yeah <laughs> i love that you just brought this up because you know even though we didn't have a an explicit focus on this in the spotlight sessions and i and i think we probably need to a little more i i would almost call this a little bit that the the, the time we're in right now and especially the DEI conversations and the the social movements whether it's me too uh black lives matter um any of these these topics um and and social issues almost spell out the return of history and not the return of history in the way that we learn it in school right it's it's not the about dates and events but it's it's understanding that we are in structures and in relationships and in contexts that are deeply that that are the product of a history and a painful history at that in which we our ancestors are all differently implicated and that puts us at the, at a very difficult intersectional crossroad as as dr ampofo had articulated even her her articulation of the restitutions that need to be made and that are being made and the, the the to me that this is very important that while we are waking up to the need for that and while restitution oftentimes takes place in financial or economic terms which is of course really necessary 
Um, but the real act of healing is in our relational and inter our interactive spaces, right? The, how do we feel about this? And even recognizing that our sense of, you know, privilege or um, our sense about ourselves in the world has a historical trail, you know, we that that had that that goes right back to to colonialism and colonial histories. Even the fortunes of our economies today are the direct results of, um, you know, colonialist past. I mean, I'm looking at at um, Stephanie. You're 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 in Chile, right? I mean, um, on a continent with a very very difficult colonial past. I'm sitting in Germany, um, where on a continent that has historically benefited from a colonial past in different ways. Obviously, there was Portuguese colonialism, there was British colonialism, Malini, that you brought to an end, you know. So <laughs> um, there, there was, um, you know, obviously German colonialism that is only actually interestingly very recently come into the consciousness of Germans. Um, even though the Nazi past has its own legacies, right? That 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 imprinted itself on the on 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 world history. So it's it's the return of history and understanding that we cannot shed history, but that we need to process history in our interactions. And that's what I think inclusive leadership is. Or what is what is part of the mission of inclusive leadership. So that's why we need to tackle difficult issues around power and othering. The notions, the categories, even this is what has always been difficult for me around race. You know, I, I mean, I learned, you know, in 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 Germany early because this was after the Holocaust and after the Nazi experience, the terrible history of the idea of race. That the idea that first of all that it's not based in anything real, right? I mean, there is no real basis for a racial classification system. And that it was essentially made up in order to justify, you know, I mean, terrible atrocities in history. And so it's an ideology, you know, the, the ideology of race led to racist um, beliefs, racist, um, you know, actions, the reality of racism. And how do we dismantle it? You, you know, I mean, th th that's that's a that's a huge challenge, um, and racism in different forms, right? That's why I always say race is is an illusion, <laughs> it's a lie, <laughs> and but racism is what's real, and 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 this that's a difficult message for many people to to take in. Um, we can't normalize the the word race, you know. Even I have a really hard time when. When we normalize the use of the word race, um, because we're feeding the idea that keeps racism alive, but we can't also just be careless about it and simply saying, oh, it's a made up thing. So racism, therefore, isn't real. Racism is extremely real, but race is not. And that's that's a that's an un, that's a difficult space to sit in. Anyway, I mean, th these are just some things that come up for me as you're reflecting, Nalini. I think you're you're. Um, going deep into a very important point that sometimes ideas and personal experience go hand in hand. Yes. And we try to divide right, what's academic, what's theory versus our own lives. And I think the beauty of these spotlight sessions, at least to me, 
was to try to connect both, right? And um, I learned so much more from interesting speakers that um, I've been following for many, many years, but I, I got a deeper sense of understanding of what they were trying to convey because of that personal um, experience and they were able to share, right? Um, with Dr. Valerie Perdigrinaway, right? Her segregation experience in primary school um, that was for me like so enlightening, right? With her own research um, on these kind of topics, so um, it's it's really a beauty <laughs> and something special from this yeah. from this season, right? Yeah. May maybe you would like to add something on this topic? I I just got a lot out of all of those kinds of things because it applied to my life. So Stephanie, I. You know, I've experienced all those things that she experienced. It was kind of interesting the way my my parent, my mother, uh, when she was born in New Mexico, there were very few black people there. So the schools were integrated. And then when more black people started moving in, they segregated the schools. So when I went to first grade through fourth grade, it was segregated. And then all of a sudden they integrated the schools. And so then I went to a school where all my Mexican friends were because I lived in the Mexican neighborhood and, and with Native Americans. All the blacks lived up on North Mesquite. So uh, I didn't live around black people. Uh, so then they sent me to that school, Lucero. And then all of a sudden I was just there one year and they just moved me. I didn't know why I was being moved, but they moved me to the white school, Central. Uh, so in sixth grade, I was moved. And so, you know, I'm just, I just felt like I was, battling, you know, back and forth. Uh, and so uh, eventually I found out it was because of my grade. So they were moving me because they said that I, you know, I was more advanced. You know, I just decided that they just felt I was, for a Black person, I was more advanced. You know how they did. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so, that, so that, that happened. So I, I had the same experiences that were uh, and others that were discussed. So I just, you know, I said, yep, that's my experience too. Yep, that's my experience too. So uh, I, uh, I I was right aligned, Stephanie. And uh, so uh, uh, it was an aha for me. Uh, but um, I can tell you the thing that was really aha was this power discussion. And I want to talk about that because we're having a very difficult time with zero-sum game. We're having a very difficult time with shared power and what that means. We're having a very difficult time with, uh, you know, what am I going to lose if you gain? You know, they can't say, okay, now it's all win, lose, win, lose. It. There's no win, win in any uh, in the dialogue. And how do you get there? So that's an interesting part for me, Melanie. So I'm your nose that. Uh... I, the question always comes up for me. So how do we get better, right? How do we utilize this learning for some actioning that we can all learn, think about? It may not work for everybody, but at least to offer it to people. And when I heard Mark Samuel talk about culture is a habit, right? And you, are, you and I, you know, we've done May, we've done all these sessions where we talk culture is a habit, and then you, I heard Dr., and please uh, forgive me if I don't get the name right, Drs. Amy Gurke and, and Dr. Jacques Rollet talk about your personal mosaic, 
Yes. It doesn't matter how you are raised. You, it, is, it is inevitable that you're going to learn, be taught something that becomes part of your worldview. You can step back and change that with self-diversity, right? That was a, was a very uh, good thought for me, right? So, and connecting that with ranking that Anne Barbara talks about, whenever you interact with people, you're ranking them constantly, right? Here, there, everywhere. So my question is, when you're helping people um, to change, to do things differently, to do what we're all here talking about, how do you not become patronizing, right? Yes. <laughs> because, because whatever you say sounds like, oh, you don't really get my worldview. You know, you're talking from your own worldview, right? And so I think, you know, somehow to step back is one and to listen carefully, to put yourself in their shoes, right? But you do have to have something that guides you, a true north, right? Say, this is the big large reason why we're all doing this, but we are willing to be flexible how we get there, but we have to cultivate the right habits, the right thought processes, the right behaviors. If not, Stephanie, to your point, it'll all be theory. Mm -hmm. I, I, that is something I feel very strongly about. I mean, we can theorize yeah. till the cows come home. But if we don't translate this as, uh, you know, as some of the speakers have said very carefully, right, I'm sharing this. So, you know, and you're, I've said this to you, I, I believe strongly in servant leadership. You serve your people. And then you, you gave me great insights the other day when you said you serve people in, in an inclusive way, not just whom do you choose to serve. How do you help people understand that they've got to stop and step back in order to make change? Oh. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not sure. Uh, and, I, and I think you have to grapple with it. There are no easy answers, right? And I'm, I'm curious to see what all of you think about that. Thank you for listening. You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com.